Hello and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions. Based on what you've left for me in the comment section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. All right, staycation is over. I had a few days off this last week before I got back to work this last Monday produced the video on the data series that I'd been promising for a while. I uh, finally got that done and actually we have a lot more to discuss about the data series and its use in Scientology. That first video was really just a bit of a, I don't know if it's a primer, primer, you know, beginning of uh, what that's all about. Uh, it's a deep, deep subject with a lot more to know about it. So anyway, you guys can look forward to some more content on that in the future. Uh, with some collaborations I'll be doing on that. And I've also got some pretty interesting stuff coming up this next week I think you guys are going to be interested in uh, as far as uh, Scientology-related content on the channel. I did a podcast this week uh, this, that I posted yesterday on the Second Amendment, and I hope that some of you will take a good uh, take a look at it. It is not an effort to be partisan. It is an effort to educate and talk about some facts related to the Second Amendment and the interpretation of it. Uh, and I'm not going on any anti-Second Amendment rants in that. So anyway, uh, I put a lot of work into it. it. This podcast was a redo of an earlier podcast I had done where I had had some factual inaccuracies in the podcast, so I pulled it. And uh, I hope that speaks to, you know, my, my integrity in regards to my channel. I, I do care when I get something really wrong and I will uh, take measures to correct that. So uh, the last thing I wanted to tell you guys real fast. Um, oh, we did our first Patreon hangout this last week, even though I was on a staycation. That was a lot of fun. Um, and I've had more than a couple people suggest that I, that I find out about this since I uh, have a PS4 and I, I kind of enjoy playing uh, some video games every now and again. Not, <laughs> not anywhere near as much as other people I know, but I, I get in there every now and again. And I did get Far Cry 5. So I have this now. Uh, and this is funny because for those who don't know, this is all about taking on a destructive cult. Uh, in some backwater town somewhere out in the out in the good old you know Midwest or South or something. Let's go ahead and get on with your questions now that I've given you a little update on what's happening. I think we have some good ones this week. DA. I saw how much Tom Cruise made each of the last several years, and I noticed something. His income, while high, goes up and down. Sometimes he might make 20 million, and the next year it might be 15 million. As far as stats go, he is sometimes downstat. While this can be brushed off by Scientology since he's a celebrity and the rules don't apply, if he is a serious Scientologist, how might he explain the fact that he is sometimes downstat? Shouldn't he be earning more and more money each year in order to be ethical? Well, strictly speaking, yes, he should. Uh, the Correct application of Scientology's uh, ethics conditions um, and the formulas that, are, that, are, that those contain, which are the step-by-step -step, uh, guide you're supposed to take in order to be in a better and better condition no matter what you're applying it to, those conditions should give him the answers or guides that he needs in order to have an ever-increasing income. 
and Tom Cruise has got a potential of making a tremendous amount of money in the uh, movie industry. So, you know, it's not like there's he's reached the limit of bricks he can lay, you know, sort of thing. Uh, now, I actually don't know about his personal income, and maybe you're looking, you're probably looking at his uh, movie intake from gross income from his movies, but he has other things he does that produce income for him. As a, He's got a production company and those kind of things. I'm not saying I have some inside line, I just know that he's got these things and, and investments and that sort of thing. So his personal income might actually be going up, 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 even if the amount of money that is being made on films he's in is not going up, up, up. So I will say, I do want to put that little thing out there, a little caveat. But to speak to the more general question here, uh, Scientologists are expected to be in a continuously expanding uh, state of, you know, or condition. And the ethics conditions, as I said, are supposed to get you there. So if you're not constantly improving and expanding in some fashion or another, then there is something wrong. And Tom Cruise would not be getting a pass on that by the church, by the way. Even though he's a celebrity, he is, he is expected, in fact, probably more so than many other Scientologists, is expected to hold a standard and is expected to be an example to the world at large. Uh, you know, more so than anybody else. So, uh, so I'm sure he feels, you know, some degree of pressure and puts a lot of pressure on himself uh, because of that, because he is a, a true believer, as far as I can tell. The, uh, you know, the thing about <laughs> the whole philosophy of, of this expansion sort of thing that Hubbard put out is, is it, is it really is a very self-defeating thing. I mean, uh, you know, you really can only go so far with that sort of thing before you really start uh, coming down on yourself way too hard for not, you know, living up to this, these expectations and these standards. Um, and after a while, you know, just to speak from my own experience about it as a Scientology and Sea Org staff member, I actually realized, and I think most people in Scientology who work for the organization at least, come to realize that it, it's just sort of this cyclic sort of game really, you know, this business of infinite expansion and continuing to go up, up, up. Um, you know, you, you twig after a while that this is just, you know, you, you start paying it more lip service than you are really believing it. Um, because I started to see, I started to have to interpret the orders that were coming down the lines and the quotas that were coming down the line and the, 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 you know, the demands constantly for more and more and more. Um, I, I started having to interpret that or rationalize that as, well, they have to put that much pressure on us because otherwise we would slack off or something or we would, we would, think, we would not be producing to our full potential. Uh, you know, that kind of thinking, even though I knew that the quotas we were receiving and the demands we were receiving were completely unrealistic and, were, and, and no one could produce, you know, the, in, in, the, in the crunched time frame that we were demanded to produce some of these things, like a million dollars in a week, right? These kinds of insane kinds of quotas for, for uh, IAS donations, for example. Um, you know, it really took miraculous work to, to push it you know, to keep pushing the, the income up, 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 or the, the production of whatever it was we were producing. Anyway, 
Um, bottom line on this is that uh, Scientologists temper this kind of thinking with reality. I mean, reality does enter into the bubble world, is really what I'm trying to say. And, and Scientologists will rationalize this sort of thing. And, uh, and I certainly did as a, as a Scientologist and a Sea Org member. You know, you're going to go up, the stats are going to go up, and the stats are going to go down, and the stats can go back up, and the stats can go down. And, and so you start watching these things on a trend. Are you generally doing better than worse? right? That kind of thing. So, you know, I don't know what else to really say about that, except that uh, um, I'm pretty sure Tom Cruise pushes himself pretty hard. And I think that's also one reason why there's so many Mission Impossible movies, is because he keeps going back to his successful action of Mission Impossible, because that's been the franchise that I think has gained him more income and, uh, and influence or traction in the, in the big wide world internationally. Um, than anything else, than any other properties that he's done. Uh, so that's what I can, some, some, some thoughts about that. Jake, you talked about word clearing and people looking up the definition of a word, but as we know, not all dictionaries define words the same, and in fact, do this sometimes in an effort to catch copyright infringement. What is the Scientology approved dictionary? I also find this interesting because it's another process that LRH wasn't forward thinking with. I mean, the word cab, as defined in 1850, has a totally different definition than 1950. One was a horse-drawn carriage, the other a yellow car on the streets of New York City. All right, well, I don't know if I remember going into detail on the dictionaries when I did my study tech video, so let's go ahead and talk about this. There actually is an approved list of dictionaries that Scientologists use. It's in a bulletin Hubbard, or I think initially Hubbard wrote or had written, that listed specific dictionaries. It's been updated a few times. The Oxford English Dictionary, the, the, you know, the great big 12-volume or 10-volume deal, is sort of the ultimate authority in Scientology on, on the ultimate definition of words. But there were Webster's, there was a Webster's Dictionary for new, new, dictionary, new dictionary for Young Readers, I think it was called. It had new in there somewhere, but it was a, it was a Young Readers, a very basic dictionary. That was very commonly used. Um, I think there were a couple other smaller editions of Oxford dictionaries uh, that were used, the Oxford American Dictionary, I think. Um, and I didn't pull up the list, but there are, there are others. I think there were about seven or eight of them. Uh, the idea being, the, 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 the metric being used was you didn't want to use what Hubbard called a dinky dictionary, which would, be a, which would be a dictionary that would define one word by using the other word, right? So you'd, you know, look up, I, I don't know, I'm just making these things up uh, off the top of my head, but you know, you look up uh, the word well as a noun and you get a, a pit, and then you look up pit and you get a well, you know, like the, you know, these circular definitions. You don't, you don't want that. You want good, solid, complete definitions. And the other thing about looking up words in dictionaries that to address the second part of your question is that, uh, oh, I left it, I left it up there. Um, the second part is that uh, you are going to clear all the definitions of a word, but Hubbard takes care in the instructions to say to not clear obsolete definitions or archaic definitions unless those are the ones that specifically apply to the context in which you're looking at the word. When you clear a word in Scientology, you actually go through 
all the definitions in the dictionary. First, you look up the word and you find the definition that fits for the context that you're looking at it in. And you, and you clear it by reading it, understanding it, making sure you don't have any words in the, de in the definition you don't get. And then you use it in some sentences. You know, uh, the, the, the dog ran to the well. I took some water out of the well. The well was dry that day. You know, that would all be for that definition. Then you go to the first definition or the earliest definition and you start doing the same process definition by definition until you've gone through all of them that way. Uh, skipping any specialized definitions or obsolete or archaic as I mentioned. Then you get to the derivation of the word and you clear that. You read it and make sure you understand where the word came from. And you're also supposed to look at any synonyms, studies, or usage notes for the word. Make sure those are understood. You don't have to look up every synonym, but you just kind of look over the synonym study and see what other words, you know, would be similar to this one. And, um, and then that's when that's done, then you've cleared the word to full conceptual understanding. And on an e-meter, if you're, if you're doing the word clearing on a meter, then you're supposed to have a floating needle, right? Needle is supposed to be doing this indicating you've totally cleared the word. If you don't have this floating needle and you're clearing the word with someone on the on the e-meter, then you'll be asked, is there an earlier similar misunderstood word to, you know, well, for example. And you might come up with, oh, earlier similar, and you kind of look and go, hmm, what kind of word could have come before well? Well, how about, oh, you know, you know an earlier similar word that I didn't understand was, uh, uh, spring. I didn't understand spring as in a spring, you know, like a water spring, right? So a guy might think, have associations with that in his head. And so you'll look up spring and you'll do the same procedure with that. And if that doesn't produce a floating needle, or is there an earlier similar one and an earlier similar and so on, which it was pretty uncommon that that would happen. Most of the time when you clear words, even on the meter, uh, with a word clearer, they, 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 you get an FN on the word itself and you don't have to go earlier similar, but it does happen. So that's kind of the procedure for it. And um, the, the dictionaries that are stocked in Scientology classrooms or course rooms are the, the approved dictionaries for use. Although that doesn't mean you can't use other dictionaries. I had my own and other people brought their own with them to to course because they have their favorite dictionaries for stylistic reasons or language reasons or whatever. But that's kind of how all that works. So I hope that uh, helps clarify that. Teresa Ulrich. I don't want to open a political maelstrom, but I'm just wondering if you have any comments about the tactics, strategies, and circumstances in place rather than specifics of the ideology that could be contributing to what I have gotten used to hearing called the immovable base of Trump supporters. I watched one of your videos featuring Yanya Lalich speaking about her experience in the political cult and it was very insightful. There's a lot to be explored about the similarities and differences of religious slash spiritual ideology and social slash political ideology as they relate to informing the choices of individuals. Particularly in the wake of the Cambridge Analytical news that is all over the place, I think it's interesting to look at the implications of privacy and financial integrity that are in play. Do you feel that the heat is more on Facebook or Cambridge Analytica, or do you see it as being pretty even? Well, nothing like these nice, simple questions for me to just breeze right by. 
Um, there's, a, there's a lot to talk about here, and I'm not going to give a full answer to every thought I've ever had about all this, but um, I feel that, uh, I feel very strongly about undue influence in any form, in any format, and in any subject or field. I feel that people have a right to be talked to honestly and directly about uh, whatever the topic or subject is at hand, and I feel that they should be given complete information. This is the antithesis of how people are spoken to in politics. Politics is all about emotional uh, influence, and, uh, and it is very little, it's, it pretends to be heavy on facts, and yet it's really not. Not in the marketing of politicians and the way that they are, that they are presented or the way they present themselves. They are trained uh, rhetorically to not answer questions, to dodge, to give red herrings, to give straw men, uh, you know, just throw out logical fallacy after logical fallacy rather than directly answer questions that they feel might uh, badly, you know, give them a bad name or badly represent, uh, you know, who they are to, you know, a certain number of people who might vote for them otherwise. So they tend to, um, you know, to, to, to push out messages that are very emotionally involving, right, rather than rationally involving. Um, and I think that's a shame. You know, sometimes you see uh, some deep dives into some facts when you see debates happen on, you know, uh, between candidates. But that's pretty few and far between. And um, sound bites tend to be the order of the day. And we are not helped at all by the format of, our, of the major media channels, uh, and I'm talking about all of them, CNN, MSNBC, Fox, they're, you know, the formatting is the same. Almost 80% or so of their content is opinion-based editorial content, which doesn't really help anybody. Uh, you know, I don't mind getting a view or, uh, or ideas or opinions from, um, you know, informed people who I might want to hear from. I don't mind that, but the panel discussions that occur on these channels where people are just talking heads, ranting at each other, that's not constructive at all. And it certainly is not news. It is editorial opinions. Uh, you know, maybe educated opinions, but still just opinions bashing against opinions. I think news should be about news. And I feel I, there's so much happening in the world. And, I, you know, the the tremendous amount of focus on Trump as an individual and as our president uh, doesn't really serve us uh, very well, you know, on all sides. You know, I have my own personal opinions about uh, Trump, which I'll, which I'll mention in just a second here. Um, well, I'll, I'll actually in a later question. On this question, um, the, the, you know, my fight with media or with in, in the political arena, it, from my point of view, where I'm coming from, is trying to fight against undue influence, against the lies, the, the, the propaganda, okay? That's what I have a problem with. Um, you know, it would be one thing if we could get these politicians to stand up on platforms and say, the, these are the facts, this is the information, right? Here's the, here's the deal. And so therefore, here are my proposed solutions to those problems. Here's what I'm going to do about these situations and just be very upfront about it. Uh, I wish that 
we could do that, you know? And, and of course, um, you know, if wishes were pennies, I'd be a millionaire, right? So uh, anyway, that's kind of how I at least try to approach these things or see these things. And so um, when something like the Cambridge Analytica story comes out, or, you know, you look at see how, how manipulation occurs through Facebook or Twitter or other social media platforms, that's even more concerning to me than, than the media manipulation or the political manipulation because social media's entire purpose is designed to get people communicating between each other. And when you find out that those communications are being twisted and altered and manipulated either through ads or through false fake news on any on any front i don't care this is i'm not i'm not talking about this from the viewpoint of liberals and progressives versus conservatives it happens on all ends and it's wrong on any end for any reason you know we shouldn't be being fed a bunch of lies uh by anybody for any reason you know we should we just shouldn't and I know that it's kind of silly of me to, to put that standard out there, but I do. <laughs> and so I think, uh, I think you have a, a, you know, a platform like Facebook or uh, Twitter or these other platforms that have, that have gone out there on a business model where we are the product. So our information is kind of, you know, up for grabs, so to speak. And we kind of go into that knowing that that's the case and we're willing to make a certain degree of trade-off because of that. Um, but, you know, then, then there's taking it too far. And this Cambridge Analytica situation is definitely an example of taking it way too far. If, and, I, and I am absolutely sure that there are other Cambridge Analyticas out there. I don't think they're the only group that has done this. Uh, where they take our personal information and profile us with it. Not for the sake of advertising products to us, but for the sake of manipulating our thoughts and feelings and emotions in order to get us to do certain things. It's a psychological experiment gone horribly, horribly wrong. Uh, and, I, and I think that Facebook is responsible for that by providing a platform and our information. And I think Cambridge Analytica is the natural evolution of that to, uh, you know, to where firms are uh, put together with the express idea of manipulating us with our own information, twisting it around and using it against us. Uh, you know, uh, twisting it around. I mean, really just taking the raw data coming up with an accurate profile of a person based on their information and then targeting them with directed advertisements of a, you know, in the case of Cambridge Analytica, of a political nature in order to sway decisions. But also not just targeting us with those advertisements, but also hitting us with news stories that have these headlines that feed into our confirmation bias and feed into our prejudices to give us the idea that things are a certain way when the reality is that things are not really that way. They're either not that good on whatever front the fake news is on or it's not that bad on whatever front the fake news is on. You know, imagine a world where we really had a proper estimation of where crime was at and where uh, racial tension stood and where, you know, what, the, what work the government was actually doing 
uh, by the government, I mean Congress specifically in terms of legislation or the White House in terms of the executive uh, duties and, and responsibilities that they carry out, you know, instead of scandal after scandal after scandal and lie after lie after lie that we have to sift and wade through. It's just so tiring. Uh, you know, you can't even imagine a world where it's not that way because it's so bad. So, um, so I, you know, my, my efforts on my channel here, uh, in addition to talking about Scientology, is to talk about the mechanisms of those undue, of un, undue influence so that hopefully by learning about the mechanisms of it and, the, and the, you know, how it's done, maybe you guys and me learning more about it and talking about it can more easily recognize when we're being unduly influenced or manipulated. That's about all that anyone can really offer because there's so much of it, we're inundated with so much of it that it's impossible to debunk everything, you know. Uh, I don't know. So those are some thoughts I had on that. I hope that's uh, helpful, at least in clarifying where I'm coming from, and maybe some, you know, uh, some information you guys can use on that topic. Hamish Downey. Why doesn't David Miscavige figure out a way of writing the new OT levels? It seems like there are some Hubbard worksheets left, so I feel like it wouldn't be impossible for someone to write them. Perhaps even a group of people could write them. I met a lot of similar ideas when I was deep into New Age, and I feel like it would be really easy for someone to use a lot of those materials, especially for something like superpowers, which is defined in New Age as something like your intuition, the law of attraction, and the like. Yeah, I know, you'd think it would be fairly easy to come up with an OT9 and 10, and I think, I've, I've said in other places on this, on this critical Q&A show that um, that, I, that Miscavige has tons of other things to release before he has to worry about 9 and 10. And he's not in any hurry to release 9 and 10 because he himself has put forward certain guide, certain targets and goals that have to be accomplished before OT 9 and 10 can be released. So he's got plenty of time. He's given himself years of wiggle room because all the organizations in the world that are you know, Scientology churches are all supposed to go ideal and are supposed to be St. Hill size before he'll release OT9 and 10. So I don't think he's in any real hurry to get them out, to be totally honest. And if he was, well, see, Miscavige's grasp of Scientology tech on a deep, deep, deep level is not really actually that high. He doesn't study Scientology really very much, and he hasn't partaken in any auditing services in decades. So the guy's not really a Scientologist, which is an amazingly crazy thing to say, given the fact that he's the ecclesiastical leader of Scientology, but it's the truth. So, and I've heard, of course I wasn't there, but I've been told that he himself was extremely frustrated to find that Hubbard's materials and worksheets, the, the stuff they've got, uh, is very hard to decipher and even sift through and read. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Hubbard didn't leave a lot of stuff with which to make OT 9 and 10. Hubbard, remember, died in seclusion, uh, pretty alone, pretty crazy, pretty demented, and, uh, and, and literally like seeing things. So he wasn't in a great place in the last years of his life. And he had been slowly declining for years prior to that. I mean, going all the way back to the 60s in, in some ways in terms of his paranoia. 
So, um, so there's not actually a lot of raw material there at the, in the, at the upper highest, highest levels for Miscavige to use. But there's plenty of stuff there that he could just make stuff up if he wanted to. Um, but like I said, I don't think he's really, I don't think he's really inclined to do so because he's got so many other things he could push out before 9 and 10 that would be cash uh, sources for him. There'd be sources of income that Scientologists, Scientologists will be eager for. Kind of like superpower, right? Superpower was not, you know, uh, it's not a grade chart step. It's not something you have to do in order to get to OT8 and move on up to personal spiritual mortality, but it's this wonderful sounding set of rundowns that are supposed to unleash your superpower as a being. So he's making money hand over fist on that. And then you have that cause resurgence rundown where you're just running around a pole for hours on the top floor of that big superpower building in, in uh, Clearwater. I mean, if you could make money getting people to run around a pole, you know, like, not a lot. If, if, you're, if you're making money off that, where's the urgency to, to come out with the next big thing? You know, not really there. So, and he's got a lineup of all kinds of stuff to release. So, um, so that's why I think we're not particularly seeing an OT 9 and 10. But I think when push comes to shove, if it is necessary that he do something, he'll come up with something. And it's not even going to be that hard for him to, you know, even with his limited degree of, of understanding of Scientology, it's not going to be that hard to, for him to figure it out. Nine ideal. You need to tell us why you love Donald Trump or else we will turn against you. What is the point of critical thinking if you don't have views about big issues of the day or more likely are too chicken to alienate half of your viewer base? Come on now, you are an obvious filthy communist anyway. Don't be shy. Ah, uh, you guys. Look, here's my thing on Donald Trump. I'm just going to be really, try to be very simple about this, okay? I lived in a destructive cult for 27 years under L. Ron Hubbard and then David Miscavige. I have a pretty good idea of what a destructive cult figure looks like, what they act like, what they sound like. And right away, when Donald Trump announced his candidacy for presidency, we, me and Ruth on, this po on the podcast I had started looking at him and paying attention to this guy and looking at what he was saying and how he was saying it. And we looked into his character and his past and all kinds of things. And I saw there a man who uses lies like he breathes. And I saw a person who had a really no moral compass of any kind. And I saw people following him who were saying things and acting like cult members. And I'm not saying that everybody who, Trump, who supports Trump is a, is a member of the cult of Trump. I'm not saying that. In the same way, I'm not saying everybody who owns a gun is a cult member of the cult of guns. But I am saying that that cult exists and that, that Trump pushes that. He, he wants that. That's his base that people talk about, right? Um, and, you know, politics is, a, is already bad enough. It's already a minefield of lies and logical fallacies and, and a lot of problems with politics and a lot of problems with the actual day-to-day -day running of a government bureaucracy the size of the United States government. I mean, this is, it's, it's one of the, from a company point of view, it's one of the largest companies in the world. 
there's hundreds, that's like 200,000 employees or something who work for the federal government. So you don't want to have a guy running that who's a cult leader, who uses destructive cult tactics in order to manipulate people into believing what he has to say. His first year as a president has only proven out everything I thought about and said would be happening on our podcast. So I, that's my views on him, right? There are a lot of good things going on in the government. There's a lot of good things going on in the world. It's not all bleak and bad and horrible, and I never said that it was. I just feel that integrity matters. I feel that it matters when people lie as blatantly as Trump does. And I feel that, um, you know, that we deserve better. So, you know, that's, that's my views on him. And uh, as a person and as our president, I, you know, I, I feel that uh, we've gotten to a place now where the United States is, uh, is, is worse than a laughing stock. We went through a phase of that. Now it's just dangerous. I mean, with the, with the, the, the various policy things that have come down the line and where things are going, I, I don't feel very safe and secure these days as an American citizen living in this country. And so I talk about it because it's in my nature to do so. I can't shut up about stuff. You know, that's why this channel's continuing to go, is because I, I have a lot of things to say and talk about and questions to answer and, and things to talk about, and I feel that, I feel obligated to talk about these things. I'm willing to be wrong about this issue or that issue or whatever, but I know I'm not wrong about Trump's character, and I know I'm not wrong about the fact that he should not be in that office. And that's, that's my take on that. So if that alienates half of you guys, I don't mean it to. You know, I'm not, I'm not out to, uh, to tell you all, you know, that you're a bunch of idiots or something. I'm, I'm not saying that, right? I, any more than, the, you know, than I'm an idiot for being in Scientology for 27 years. I mean, you want to put somebody at the top of the idiot list, that's me. So I, I got no, like, status thing on this, you know? I'm just doing my best to, to speak my truth and to try to help the general situation. And if I rub people the wrong way doing that, it's not because I'm trying to rub you the wrong way and I'm willing to talk about it, uh, at least in the comments or in you know countless numbers of emails that I get. And that's about everything I can say on that. So I hope that clarifies my position a little bit. It is time for Flash Answers. VSGL. The Church of Scientology used to be across the street from my work building before you personally moved it to the new Ideal Org in Minnesota. We used to do team building scavenger hunts throughout the downtown area, sending people into the old org. Any ideas about what they thought of these games? Were they offended, indifferent, or were we new meat for them to make their weekly stats? That is funny. Um, as I remember that building, you're talking about the, the Twin Cities church that I think was on, uh, what was that street, uh, Hennepin, uh, when it was in downtown uh, Minneapolis. And uh, yeah, the, I, I know where you guys were coming from. And uh, I think the staff were fine on it. I mean, the place was so empty all the time. I think anybody coming in for any reason was sort of a breath of fresh air for them. And, you know, they had the whole Minnesota nice thing going on, so I don't think they were too offended by it. I think they were more disappointed that people who were coming in weren't coming in because they were curious about Scientology. 
I think that was probably more the reaction than anything else. David Bates. Watching TV the other day in a movie, Edge of Tomorrow comes on. I see Tom Cruise in it. It is about space things taking over the Earth. About 55 minutes in, Tom wants to tell his supervisors about something he knows. The person responds, don't tell anyone else. At worst, you will be sent to the psych ward for a little better brain dissection. This is mentioned over three times in the movie. I just wonder if Mr. Cruz had that put in intentionally. I would place money on uh, any, I would bet, I'd be willing to bet that that was Tom Cruise's uh, insertion into the script. I, I could be wrong, but I'd be willing to bet about 10 bucks on it. If anybody knows for sure, has any information out there, let me know. Eddie Palau. Your personal interviews about surviving destructive cults like the Tim DeWall and Christiana Minor videos feel like the beginnings of an oral history collection. Were you influenced slash inspired by other oral history projects? No, I actually wasn't. And the, the fact that you're asking about this actually made me really think about that. It was a really interesting take on what I've been doing with this channel. It really, this channel has just kind of grown organically. I didn't put tons of thought or premeditation into what I was doing with some of the different interviews and series I did. I just wanted to get the full story out there from these people who had experienced it so that this channel wasn't just all about me and my experiences because my experiences, however good, bad, or indifferent they were, that's just this, and I wanted to present the bigger picture, and that's why I started interviewing other people and getting their whole story. So, um, you know, I guess I just sort of organically went into that oral tradition, and, uh, and, and you know, I think that's some of the best content I can offer, so. Okay, everybody, that is our show for this week. Thank you very much for coming around and listening to all my gabber and, and gabobble here. Uh, if you think that this channel is doing a good job and you enjoy the content that I put out, please consider supporting me through Patreon. It is how I keep going. It is how I live my life and I'm able to keep a roof over my head and bring you the research and content that I bring you. So um, consider joining up for that. And we are now doing once a month uh, private Patreon hangouts for my Patreons. It's the only thing I've put, I've, I've put together that is just for them as a, as a little reward for that. Uh, I figure it's the least I can do, and, uh, and I'm always open to other suggestions on that line. So thanks for coming around, and I'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.